Well, let's, uh, let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 uh, this morning. I titled this morning's message, Your Conduct as a Chosen Generation. We're blessed, church. Those of us that know Jesus Christ, As our Lord and Savior, you're a chosen generation and you're blessed. We're blessed. But we're called to a conduct as Christians. We're called to act differently from those who don't know Christ. And it's only through the work of God's Spirit and His Holy Spirit that that happens in our life. God is working in our lives, changing us and and making us those people that that stand out as being different. Last week, we read in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10 was our text. I titled last week's message, The Chosen Stone and His Chosen People. And we read in uh, verse 9 to verse 10, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Paul In speaking to the church at Ephesus, he wrote this in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, just as He chose us. Now, we've already talked about this choosing of the Lord, but I want you to think for a moment that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can say, I've been chosen by God. That should thrill your heart. That alone that you have been chosen in Him. And it happened actually before the foundation of the world. You were always in God's mind's eye. He always saw, He chose you before the foundation of the world. Before He created it all, He handpicked you and chose you. That's incredible. An incredible thought. That we, and he goes on to say, Paul, that we should be holy. This is something else that God has predetermined that we would be holy, that we would be without blame before Him in love. You see, to be holy, to be obedient to the things of God, is a calling upon our life. It's not an option. God calls us to obedience as Christians. The nation of Israel and the church, we really we see both of these in Scripture. Starting with the nation of Israel, we see then the church that later came, the church age that we call it, But we see the nation of Israel. 
the nation of Israel had an, they were, had an earthly race to them. They had physical characteristics that made up the nation of Israel. And they had a common earthly ancestry. The nation of Israel. Last week, we read in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. That stone is Jesus Christ. And it says, when we come to Jesus, we approach him. You see, every time you come to Jesus and you approach him in prayer, every time you come to Jesus and you approach him in worship, You approach Him when you open up the Word of God and you begin to read. You actually come into the presence of the Lord. We're in the presence of the Lord this morning as we gather together in His presence. That's the church gathering together. The characteristics of the church are quite different from the characteristics of the nation of Israel. But both of them have promises. And God is doing a work in both. Coming to Him as a living stone is what we are privileged to be able to do as a church. We can come before the rock. The rock of our salvation. The living stone. The unmovable stone. Peter says that we are a holy priesthood. We're also a royal priesthood. You see, the holy priesthood is where we come into God's spiritual house bringing spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. You can come in and worship. We can pray together. We can worship together. We can open up the Word of God together. And God accepts our spiritual sacrifices. That's amazing. Jesus Christ interceding on our behalf before a holy God. We come into this place as holy priesthood. We come to this place being known as a holy nation. Just like God saw Israel as His own special people, He sees the church age saints as a holy nation. A holy people. And the nation of Israel that was called to be holy. They were called to to come out and be a holy separate people from the pagan nations, the Gentile nations. But we know that they, they failed miserably in that way. A holy nation. God's desire for Israel that they would be holy. That they wouldn't bow down to the idolatry of the pagan nations. But they were not obedient in that for much of Israel. We're called His own special people. Just think of that. You're God's special people. His own. We're God's possession. 
Do you think of yourself that way as being a possession of God? As a child of God, he says, you're my child. I think most of us that have children, when we think of our, you're mine, you're my child. God looks at you and says, you're a child of God. You're one of mine. You're chosen. You're my possession. As the church belongs to Him in a very unique way. It's like Israel belonging to God in a very unique way. I shared last week that when God sees the church age saints, and you're part of that, when He sees the church age saints, He sees the church with the same love and the same desire that He has for the nation of Israel. God's love for the nation of Israel is the same love that He has for you as the church, for me as the church. God has a unique plan for both. And it's important for us to note that. Israel had a special place in the eyes of God. But they weren't always obedient, were they? Do you see the parallel that I'm trying to bring to you this morning? You have the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. You have the church-age saints, God's chosen people. But are we doing any better than the nation of Israel? That's a big question. God told Moses to speak to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, we read this. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed Obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all of the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Sounds like Peter describing the church-age saints. If you'll just be obedient to me, if you'll just follow in what I've called you to do, you'll be this special treasure to me. Above all peoples. Peter... If you remember back uh, last week in 1 Peter 2.7, he says this, he says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Jesus is valuable to those of us who believe. But those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Peter here 
was quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22, which reads this, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Laid there in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ coming and being that foundation stone upon which all the other living stones that you and I would be placed upon. In 1 Peter 2.8, we read, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, speaking about Jesus, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Being disobedient to the word. Rejecting Jesus Christ as the one that they were looking for, the Messiah. Rejecting Him and and calling out, crucify Him. That day in Jerusalem. Peter here is quoting from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8, verse 14, where it reads, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Peter knew his Bible. He was quoting about Jesus Christ being that stumbling block, not only to the house of Israel, but also to others even that would follow. After Jesus one day had healed a man. Remember the story when He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda? And then He was set before the religious leaders that day, and Jesus began to speak to these religious leaders. Listen to what He says in chapter 5, verse 37. And the Father Himself, who sent Me, Jesus speaking of Himself, has testified of Me. You have neither, he's speaking to these religious leaders, you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But then he says this, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The cry went out to the nation of Israel to believe the Messiah has come. His time has come. The appointed time has arrived. And Jesus was crucified. In Jerusalem, he was put on a cross. We might say it's, it's the climax of Israel's rejection that they crucified the Son of God, the one that was the one they were looking for, and they missed it. Peter says, you are a chosen generation, church. You're a special people to God, church. He also wants to work in you an incredible work. But He calls us to a a certain 
conduct as Christians. Remember the prophet Hosea? When the Lord uh, came to Hosea the prophet and told Hosea in Hosea 1, 1, he says, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and the children and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went to take Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. The northern kingdom would be taken captive by the Assyrians. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor battle, by horses or horsemen, now when she had weaned Lo-Rumah, she conceived and bore a son. And then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. God, through the prophet Hosea, prophesied through him that the nation of Israel would be given over to harlotry. That the nation of Israel would not be obedient to the Lord, their God. And that these pronouncements about them in their disobedience, though they were not going to be a continual rejection of Israel because I believe that God has a plan for Israel. In their disobedience, God says, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. Do you see what sin does? Sin separates us from our God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're Israel or you're the church. You see, if we walk in disobedience we also will be distant from the Lord. You see, if we as Christians do not conduct ourselves as Christians, if we walk in disobedience, then we reap what we sow. God doesn't have a special place for the church and allow us to live differently than He did to the nation of Israel. 
God has a plan for both. He had a plan for Israel and has a plan for Israel. And he has a plan for the church, the church age saints. If you read in your Bibles in, in Romans chapter 9, uh, you'll see that Paul addresses Israel's past. We read in chapter 9, verse 25, Paul says this, and it's interesting that he's quoting the prophet Hosea. He says, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who were not beloved. And it shall come to pass the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, through the number of the, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. That's important. You could underline that. In verse 28, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we should have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. This is what Peter was talking about. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Israel passed. Their past rejection. What about present day for the nation of Israel? Romans chapter 10. Look at your Bibles at verse 19. But I say, did Israel not know? Paul's asking a question so he can answer it. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. He's speaking of us Gentiles. I'll provoke you, the nation of Israel, to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That's you and I. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who, do not, who did not ask for me. And, but to Israel, he says... All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's Israel today. Israel living in unbelief. They are today a disobedient people that are still, for many, rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. Though there are many Jews today that are being one to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 11, Israel future. What plan does God have for the nation of Israel looking ahead? 
Paul addresses this also. He says in uh, verse 1 that he tells us in this chapter that a remnant of Israel is going to be saved. Look at verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Again, he asks a question so that he could answer it. Paul says the answer. He says, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. Paul was a Jew. I'm of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not, and you might underline that, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and they've torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Uh, Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded. They stand in blindness today. Spiritual blinders over their eyes. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. That's Israel to this very day. But God has a plan for Israel going forward. The promises, the covenants that He made to His special people, God will fulfill. He goes on in, in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Has, here's a, has the nation of Israel stumbled that they should fall? Paul says, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. Now if their fall is the riches of the world, and their failure the riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Look at verse 25 of the same chapter. For I do not desire, brethren, Paul says that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. And then look what it says. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, we're in the time of the Gentiles. We're not only in the church age. We're in the time of the Gentiles. We're in a a period of God's time clock. Until the fullness of of the Gentiles has come in. And I would just simply put it this way. When that last person that God only knows, that Gentile, when that last person receives Christ as Lord and Savior, I believe we're going home to be with Him. Isn't that amazing? When the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, we're going home. 
And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will take away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. Quoting from Isaiah 59, verse 20 and 21, Paul is. There is many Christians today that believe that God has cast away his people. That God is done with the nation of Israel. I don't know how they do that. Just read what we read. Paul makes it very clear that God has a unique plan for the nation of Israel. That he is going to save a remnant of his people. There's a teaching out there that's called replacement theology. I'm not of that theology. I don't believe that, that the church has replaced Israel. I believe God has a specific plan for the nation of Israel, and he has a plan for the church age saints. Two unique plans that God will fulfill, both in Israel and both in the Gentiles. One of the things that we can look to that speak of this is the prophet Zechariah. He wrote in chapter 12, verse 9, that it shall come, it shall be in that day, and this day is speaking about, I believe, Christ's second coming, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Do you think God still loves his special people? That God's hand is still upon the nation of Israel and that he is going to allow a seven-year tribulation period for his people, for that purification of his people, for that time that they would come to the second coming of Jesus Christ? I believe it is. That's in God's plan for the nation of Israel. And he says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and the supplication, and then they, speaking about this remnant of Israel, will look on me whom they have pierced. Isn't this incredible? In that day, there are going to be many that are going to look on him whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. God has a plan for the nation of Israel all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ, all the way even into the millennial reign of Christ that will follow. We're the church age saints. That began, by the way, almost 2,000 years ago. It happened at the birth of the church in in Acts chapter 2. When the church age saints... And when the church, we could say, began. Peter tells us in verse 9, but you're a chosen generation, church. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That should cause us all, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we're in your plan. Thank you that you had a plan for more than just the nation of Israel, but you had it even for me. But as I already asked the question, is the church doing any better 
than the nation of Israel? In a lot of ways, is the church doing any better than their disobedience in the way that they represented God? You see, in a lot of ways, I think the church is failing. There are many Christians that are failing to represent their God. And and why would we get a pass on that? Judgment has to begin with the house of God. And we as Christians, we we should see, look how God dealt with the nation of Israel, but how faithful He was to the nation of Israel. The same way when you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, it should give you great hope. You should see that, you know what? Hey, I'm a, a New Testament, I'm, a, I'm of the church age saints. And I haven't lived perfectly. I haven't done it all right. I haven't been obedient all the time. I've trespassed many times in my life. And if it weren't for the grace that God extends towards me, His mercy that's new upon me every day, God, who would be able to stand? You see, His, He's merciful towards Israel. He's gracious towards them. He's merciful towards you. He's gracious towards you. But are we doing any better? Are we living before God holy lives that we're called to live in? Does the people that see you, that know you're a Christian, do they see anything different about you at all? Does your neighbor see anything different about you? Your coworker, People that, you know, just when you're in the grocery store, just when you're out and around people, do they see anything different about you at all? I think that's a big question. I think it's a good question. Are we conducting ourselves as Christians in a way that would bring glory to God? that would line up with the Word of God. Not only just in the things that we say, but how we act, how we conduct ourselves as Christians. Peter first told us who we are in Christ. We talked about that glorious salvation. And then he always gives us what our response should be to that. How should we act in light of that? in light of the great salvation, then what should we do? How should we conduct ourselves? What should our response be to that? Peter went on in our text this morning, in verse 11, he says, Beloved, he says, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable, among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says, beloved. He tells us that we're sojourners and pilgrims. He says that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against our soul. That's the walk of a Christian, a New Testament saint. 
a, a born-again Christian living in an ungodly world. Peter addressing them as beloved. He actually uses the word eight times in the two letters. Beloved. Dearly beloved brethren. You see, as Peter is writing this letter, he has concern, but he also has a great love for the people that he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, those that would read this letter, those of us that are hearing it this morning. Beloved. Dearly beloved. Dear friends, Peter is saying shows his love and an affection for those he's writing to. He says, as a chosen generation, Peter says, I'm begging you. That's a big one. Think of how that looked with Peter. I'm begging you. I'm urging you, saints. My beloved brethren, that you would abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? Because it'll, they, they war against your soul. Do I have to explain to you what all of our fleshly lusts are? You all know the things you struggle with. You all, you all know the things that come your way. A lot that's coming our way is coming by social media, by the way. A lot that's coming our way is coming by a, a lot of means and ways that is catering to our fleshly lusts. We have to be careful. We have to look at these things that are in the world that want to bring us into its mold. We're to be different. We're to resist those things and to stay away from those things that war against your soul. Because you're a chosen generation. Paul He prayed for the believers at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says in his prayer for them, he says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Paul's prayer for the believers in the church at Thessalonica is that they would be sanctified completely. Every aspect of who you are as a human being is made up into your body, soul, and spirit. You're a trichotomy. God made you that way. And each part, your body, what you do with your body, your soul, speaking of that heart of man, and the spirit of man that's been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in you. God, Paul is saying, I'm praying for you believers that you'd be sanctified, that you'd be set apart completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Israel, 
they also were chosen by God, a special people, a chosen generation. They had responsibilities, didn't they? God gave them responsibilities. And we need to see ourselves as New Testament Christians, church-age saints, those that have been made clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we also have responsibilities as Christians. You see, as I already shared a couple weeks ago, God didn't just save us to go to heaven. Though a lot of Christians live that way. I'm happy to go to heaven, but don't ask me to walk and to follow Him. We're saved to obedience also. God prepared that beforehand that we would be obedient. But we also need to continually see ourselves as temporary residents. Do you see yourself that way? As just a temporary citizen here on this earth? That your citizenship really is in another place? We call ourselves citizens of the United States of America. And we are. But our real citizenship is not here. It's beyond this life. We're temporary residents. We're just people passing through. And if we lived in that way, in that mindset, would that have an effect on your conduct? If you're just passing through to the day you'll stand before the Lord. When the Lord returns... What effect will that have upon your walk? Temporary residents, just passing through a temporary citizens that are living in a foreign land. You might consider this a foreign land. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, he says our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. And we're waiting. Even so, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. We're waiting. Who will transform our, our lowly bodies that we may be conformed to His glorious body. It's coming, church. According to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. You see, God is able. He's going to take this body that, that wrestles and struggles and has all the, the th- and he's going to give us these new glorious bodies. We're just passing through, waiting for that day. It's a mindset that we should all take on. Peter says, I beg you to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Paul wrote in Colossians 3 5. He says, therefore, speaking to the Christians in Colossae there, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. All of those are idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God in your heart, takes the throne of your heart, is idolatry in the eyes of God. Put them to death. Put those things to death. 
It's a mindset that we take on. Dead, I'm dead in Christ. I have the ability to say no to sin. You see, fleshy, fleshly is, it speaks about our carnal lust, our fleshly lust. It's having the nature of our flesh. What does your flesh want to do? Your flesh typically wants to please itself. It wants to do its own thing. It wants to put itself in the prominent place. That's our flesh. But we're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're to be putting to death those members that want to rise up. We're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that wants to take us in a different direction than what our flesh wants to do. To be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We walk not by, we walk not by flesh, or we walk, we'll walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Peter goes on in verse 12, he says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Think of that. To have honorable conduct. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. When they speak of you as evildoers, You see, if if you never have anyone speak anything against you for what you stand for, never's happened. That's a warning signal. No one's ever said anything about me. No one's ever said anything derogatory about me in my Christian faith. And maybe that's because there's nothing shining forth. Maybe there's not a, a, anything that they're looking at that they would say, you know, and find something against us. Maybe they didn't even know I was a Christian. That's the worst thing that could happen. I, I've known you for 10 years. I didn't know you were a Christian. Praise the Lord. I am too. And, and that's the worst thing that somebody might say. I didn't even know you were a Christian. The New Living Translation reads this way, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And by the way, I'll insert those you work with, those you go to school with, those that are around you, wherever you're at. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. You see, the problem with Israel... They had their unbelieving neighbors. They had the Gentiles that were observing them as God's chosen people. But they weren't being a good representative of the living God as they partook of their idolatry. As they got you know, involved in, in, in their own flesh. They were not a good representative of the relationship that they had with the living God. 
Though they may have come across that way in appearance, they weren't inside. It wasn't a change. It wasn't something really inside. And many of the church today, they might have the appearance, oh, I go to church. Oh, I, you know, I... But what about inside? Body, soul, and spirit. It's about our conduct. And that word conduct, in, in the old King James, it's, it's translated our conversation. You see, it's, it's, it's your manner of living that we're talking about. It's your manner of life. It's your behavior would be another way that I would put it. Or the way that you live as a Christian. We're to conduct ourselves with obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the Word of God. That we're to resist, say no to disobedience, to crossing the line. You know, transgression is crossing the line. It's knowing the right thing to do but you consciously saying in your mind and your heart, I'm going to do it anyway. And that happens sometimes in the moment. It's that quick. In the very moment you're put into a position of whether or not you're going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord or you're going to be disobedient and you're going to cross the line. It's about conduct. It's about obedience. In 1 Peter 1-2, we've already read these, but I want to remind you. He says that we're the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, and look what it says, for obedience. 1 Peter 1-14. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance... But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in what? Your conduct. In 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Peter speaks a lot about conduct, doesn't he? He's already spoken about our conduct. In verse 17 of 1 Peter, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, then what are we to do? Conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. You see, that should be our response. That's how, these are, you know, if, if God judged Israel, will he let me go? No, God will judge still sin. And if God is going to judge the world, those that are in disobedience and unbelief, it, will he let me go as a Christian? That should cause us as believers to say, God, look what you have saved me from. There are people out there that don't know you that can't do anything but follow the lusts of their flesh. But you have made me different. 
In chapter 2, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles we've read. In 1 Peter 3, 1, it says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your husbands. We'll get there. And we'll get there for you husbands too. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do you see how important our conduct is in our witness? In 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. That's our witness. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Your conduct. What a testimony that is. And even when we stand in opposition to those who would say evil against us and we do it in the right way, God is glorified. They didn't cry that they may be ashamed. Man, what? I can't seem to move this person. I, throw, I pull everything out trying to get them to stumble. They may not be thinking that, but in, in, the, in actuality, they're really trying to do that. They know you're a Christian. They want to come up again. They want to say things. They want to bring the dirty joke to you. They want to say something that will draw you in. And then we walk away. And then we say, no, I, no, I don't want to go out for drinks. No, I don't want to, you know, no. And we make a stand for Christ by your good works, by your good conduct. They may be ashamed. Not to our glory, to His glory. And then in 2 Peter 3.11, Peter writes, therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, I want you to think about the world you live in, the earth and the heavens and everything in it. Since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? If you're convinced that this is all going to come to a close, if that day is still in your mind as coming, then what kind of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? I was thinking this morning, if I told you that Jesus Christ is going to come back tomorrow, and if I could do that, which I can't, but if I, could, if I told you He's going to come back tomorrow, or he's going to come back, if I told you, he's going to come back a week from tomorrow. Which one in your heart would you choose? Are you ready for tomorrow? Or are you better ready for a week from tomorrow? You know, where, where are you at right now? Would you say, well, yeah, okay. Or how about today, after service? You coming back today? Or would you rather wait a week? 
Would that give you a little bit more time, so to speak? To kind of, you know, sort things. I mean, I'm going to have a glorious week the day before the Lord comes back. Man, I'm going to live for Him like no one's ever lived for Him. You see, because we don't know the day or the hour, because we don't, we, quite often we just kind of, okay, you know, where's, you know, where's the promise of His coming? Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he told the Christians there in the church at Ephesus how they should behave and how they should conduct themselves as Christians. He says that you're to walk worthy as Christians and you're to walk in unity as Christians. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore the the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That we're to walk worthy. We have a worthy calling upon our life where you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We're called to unity, church, as the body of Christ. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. You're one with each other. We're at unity with one another. You may not know each other all very well, but you're a brother and sister in Christ. We're called to unity. We're called to walk worthy of that calling. We're called to to walk in love. We've already talked about that in Peter. But we're called, Paul says, to be imitators of God in chapter 5, verse 1. To be imitators of God as dear children. To walk in love as Christ also has loved us and giving Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You see, we're called to walk in love towards that agape love, unconditional, sacrificial love, to love each other like Christ loved us, like He laid down His life for us. We're called to walk in, in the light. Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all God goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then it says this in verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Are you on that search? Are you on that search to know what God really requires of you? What God really desires of you? in your love for Him and your love for one another. How you walk. How you live amongst people that don't know Christ. Lord, if I'm doing something that is not representing You well, would You show me? If it's the way that I speak, if it's my impatience with people, if it's my getting tipped off in anger with people, if it's my impatience with people, in general. God, would you show me that I would represent you 
in the way that would glorify you. We're to walk in wisdom, Paul says in Ephesians 5.15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Amen? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To walk circumspectly. To walk wisely amongst those that don't know the Lord. When we go out into the world, when we go to our workplace, when we're around other people, are you representing the Lord like you do when you come to church? Or are you kind of a, I'm a different person. And work, man, you know, wow. I hope people don't really see me from church at work. Because I'm a different kind of a person there in that setting. I'm a different kind of a person at home than I am at church. You see, when we get out into the world, we're walking around people that need Christ. Paul says we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. There's a lot going on around us. We need to be wise, not unwise, in our conduct and what we do, how we operate around non-believers. Why? It's our witness. Why? Because God wants to use you as a vessel that He can speak the good news of the Gospel to. And you know what? When we're living our walk and you open your mouth for Jesus Christ, I'll guarantee you'll have a lot more listeners. If you don't live your walk and you go out and try and open your mouth, get out of here. I don't want that. I, I don't need that. But if you show respect and love towards even the people that don't know Christ, and then you have opportunity to open your mouth, wow, I'll tell you what, you're going to have people that are going to be seeking you out, looking for answers. If I'm going to go to anybody, it'll be so-and-so, because man, that, that person just keeps loving on me and being a friend to me, being kind to me, showing forth characteristics of God. I want to hear from that kind of a Christian. Back in 1 Peter 1.14, Peter says, as obedient children. That's what he refers to. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, he says. Not just, you know, one little area, but all of our conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That they, by your good works, may observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. By your good works. Think of that. We're called to good works. We we read that in Ephesians 2.10. We're called as Christians to good works. That the world may observe the good works that come out of it. Why? Is it saving us? No. Is it glorifying God and, and being an instrument by which people can glorify God? Yes. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said to His own disciples in chapter 5, verse 16, He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How does that happen? 
How would anybody that doesn't know Christ turn around and in their own mind and thought process glorify God by looking at you? How would that even happen? When you shine forth and show forth those deeds, those acts, those works that glorify God, and people see other people and they go, man, there's something different about you. I see something in you that makes me want Jesus. That makes me want to, you know, that's how they might glorify God. They might know you from your past. They say, oh, oh I knew Saul. Man, that, that person, man, they were, they were off the rails. And then they found this Jesus. They came to Jesus. I mean, they're totally different. I can't believe it. They're living totally different than the way they used to live. There has to be a God. There has to be. Because I know Jimmy, and that, that guy, he was not like that before. You become these new creation in Christ Jesus. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The day of visitation, and we're, we're almost done. The day of visitation, I would say, is any time that God shows up. It can be referring to the day of visitation future, when you're going to stand before the Lord. But how about now, the day that the Lord shows up? Whenever you're at the, in that place where you, you, know, you, you say in your heart, is, God is here right now. God is in this prayer circle. God is in this worship time right now. God is in this as I opened up His Word and I began, you know, God is here. Uh, that visitation. But I guess the question we could ask ourselves is, when God shows up, are you going to be ashamed? Or will you be glorifying God with your life? Jesus, in His final week before the cross, He told, He wept, we're told. He wept over Jerusalem. He was up on the Mount of looking down over Jerusalem and weeping for the nation of Israel. His own special people. In Luke 19.41, it says, Now as He drew near Jesus... He saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because, and this is why, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know. You weren't prepared in heart. And I believe that there are many Christians today that are going to be caught unaware. They're going to be caught off guard. They're not going to be ready in the day of visitation when our Lord returns. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly 
that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But then he says this, But you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Are we ready for for that day of visitation? the day that the Lord returns. As sure as he came the first time to go to the cross, we all are convinced that happened. But are you convinced and are you assured in your heart that that day of visitation is coming where you're going to stand before the Lord? He's going to return and take us to be with himself. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when, when, when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. If you have the hope of Christ's return in your heart, if you're living in expectancy of Christ's return, I think there's a purifying effect that'll happen in your life. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, children, he's speaking to believers, abide in him, stay close to Jesus, in other words, church, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Confidence. Not ashamed. That that to me sounds like a good place to be. To be confident. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Is that coming off our lips? Even so, Lord, come quickly. Come today. I'm ready. Don't delay a week. Come today. I'm ready. Or will we say, give me some time. Let me work it out a little bit. Let me set things right. And you know, when that day comes and it comes as a thief in the night and it's there in the moment, might be sleeping, might be awake. But when that day comes, that day of visitation, are you going to stand in confidence? My prayer is that I won't be in some place of compromise. I won't be in that, but, but that I'll be in a place of confidence. Lord, you could come back today and I'm ready, I'm ready to go. How about if you're in a place of compromise? Not at the moment. Not yet. I'm not ready yet. But that we would have this confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If we're convinced that He's coming back, then we're also convinced that it's going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen in an hour that you think not. Then the Son of Man comes.
And so, it's a good place to be. Looking at our conduct, saying no to sin, just living a life that, Lord, would you change this in me? Lord, I repent of this. Lord, would you forgive me of this? Taking inventory every day of our walk today. God, help me to do better in this way. Strengthen me in this area. Lord, do that work by of your Holy Spirit in my life. God, I want to be ready. I want to be able to welcome when I stand before you. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't know what all that will look like. But it tells me here that it will not be a shame before him at his coming. I don't know what that shame looks like. But I know for my own personal self, if I'm in a place where I don't want to be or that God doesn't want me to be, that's probably a, a time that I might be ashamed before him at his coming. If you're here this morning and you need to set your heart right before the Lord, there's going to be people up here that can pray with you. You don't have to confess all. God knows all your, you know, but would you just pray for me? I need to set myself right before you, before I leave here today. Think God will do it? God will. If you're in need of prayer, I, I urge you to come up for prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come up, we'll pray with you. You can receive Christ today. That's, wow. If you don't know the Lord and you're here, don't leave here without accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior that you might have eternal life. And then everything that I just shared today applies to you. We have a loving God. We have a gracious God. We have a merciful God that is working in all of our lives each and every day. He, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not living under the condemnation of the Lord, but we do live under the conviction of the Lord. And when he convicts, we should respond. When we feel condemned, don't listen to that because that doesn't come from the Lord. He loves you. He cares for your life. And he's looking forward to the day when he comes back, just as we are looking forward to the day when he comes back to stand face to face. And so let's have the uh, worship team come up and it closes in a song and worship. I wrote down a saying that I thought was a good saying, good word. It's hard to sing songs, we'll say lyrics, it's hard to sing lyrics beyond our experience. Have you ever sang a worship song and the words in that song were so like convicting and powerful that you're going, I'm not sure that I'm there. I'm not quite sure I'm doing that. And as I'm singing this song, it just feels like it's... it's words it doesn't feel like it's really coming from my heart because because that's not really where my heart's at but i'm doing it because that's what we do in church it's hard to sing songs beyond our experience draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands ye sinners the bible says 
And God will cleanse. God will forgive. And so let's all stand and let's all worship the Lord with all of our hearts.